Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. So I, I know you've got a lot going on, but remember, I'm here for you. So bother me when no one's listening because I will. Bother me when it feels like it won't get better because it can. Bother me because you're never a bother. Whether it's a low point or a crisis, Get help for yourself or a friend. Learn more at neverabother.org or call or text 988, available 24-7. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening, and enjoy the show. The following program is intended for mature audiences and may contain strong language, adult themes, and content of a violent and sexual nature which may not be appropriate for everyone. Welcome, listener, to the Horror Hill. If it's the darkness you seek, you won't be disappointed. I'm your host, Jason Hill, and it's time for our appointment. In this place, there is no sun, and nightmares do come true. Here, instead of shadow falling, the shadows follow. Consider getting comfortable before the air grows colder. Prepare yourself if you dare. Come inch a little closer. If darkness is what you're after, seek no more your searches through. You haven't found the darkness, traveler. The darkness has found you. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 20. I'm your host, Jason Hill, and I'm thrilled you could join me tonight. In tonight's episode, we happily welcome back author T.W. Grimm, serving a particularly delicious cut of terror extra bloody, with a healthy side of nightmare. 
You're listening to the standard edition of this program. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy ad-free versions of this and all our other episodes, as well as hundreds of tales from our audio archives dating back to 2012, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today to get instant access from our friends at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Thank you for your support. Now, allow me to escort you to a place where the sun dies and nightmares come to life, where those who seek the darkness need look no further. Welcome, listener, to the Horror Hill. You haven't found the darkness. The darkness has found you. As hot as this summer has been, I do recommend a sweater for this one. Because where we're going, the wind blows cold as death. Without further ado, from author T.W. Grimm, I give you... Chestnut Street. Craig just wanted to watch some TV before bed. A simple thing to ask for, really. But could he find the goddamn remote? Of course not. He had just begun the process of pulling out all the couch cushions when someone started to knock on the front door. Wonk, 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 wonk. Rapid and insistent. He let out an annoyed grunt and looked at the clock on the wall. It was five minutes to eleven. Craig muttered, Oh, who the hell is that? From the kitchen, Elsie called out, Is there someone at the door? Yeah. Can uh, you go see who it is? He yelled back. I'm busy over here. I'm looking for the remote. I can't find the stupid thing anywhere. Uh, I'm kind of busy too, Craig. Can't you please do it? Elsie hollered back. She was fixing herself a bag of popcorn and it had just started to pop, emitting tiny, greasy firecracker explosions in the microwave. It's kind of late, isn't it? Don't open the door unless you know who it is. Craig growled, Fuck's sake, and stomped over to the door, a storm clown brewing over his head. Who is it? Craig was answered by more brisk rapping. Wonk, 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 wonk. His lip curled and he peeked through the door light with his surly, what-the-hell-do-you-want poised on the tip of his tongue. The words crumbled in his mouth. It was Mandy McTavish, the next-door neighbor's seven-year-old daughter. She was standing on the front porch all by herself, wearing only a T-shirt and a pair of flannel pajama bottoms in the January cold. Her tiny, bird-like feet were bare, and ghostly whitened the amber glow of the overhead porch light. Craig gasped. What in the hell? And he yanked open the door. Mandy, what are you doing out here? You don't even have any shoes on, honey. Is something wrong? The little girl looked up at him with a frozen non-expression, perfectly smooth and neutral. Craig had time to register that her eyes seemed strangely reflective in the muted light almost as if they were emitting a yellowish glow. And then the girl's arms suddenly shot forward in a blur, fingers hooked to seize the front of his hooded sweatshirt. 
Craig flinched back from the unexpected movement, but Mandy's hand stopped just short of reaching across the threshold. Craig looked down at them in goggle-eyed surprise. What? Mandy squeaked out a creaky little mule and dropped her arms to her sides. A thin, delicate stringer of drool slipped out from the corner of her mouth and ran down the side of her chin. She said, Let us in. Her voice dragged out in a rusty, atonal drone, the exact opposite of her usually bright-eyed, lilting little chirp. This was the croak of an ancient crone, a noxious old wretch, suffering through the final hours of a long and odious existence. Craig felt a shiver race down his spine. He blinked and cleared his throat. What do you mean, us? Andy, is everything okay at home? Let us in. Craig looked down into the girl's luminescent gaze, and for a second or two, he found himself wanting to do just that, to step back and invite her in. But at the same time, he didn't want to, because something was wrong here, horribly wrong. A finger of unease trailed down his spine, leaving goose flesh in its wake. The look on Mandy's face the white pallor of her skin, and even though she was out there in the bitter cold in only her thin pajamas, the kid wasn't shivering in the slightest. She's just a skinny little stick of a girl. How could she not be freezing out there? What the fuck? His gaze strayed down the girl's bare feet again, and this time he realized they weren't actually making contact with the all-weather carpet that covered the front porch. Mandy was floating several inches in the air. There weren't any footprints in the fresh snow behind her, either. Craig's heart abruptly started to pound in his chest. He thought, This isn't Mandy. It's not her. It was a crazy thought, a nonsensical thought. But it was true. This wasn't sweet, happy-go-lucky little Mandy McTavish. Not at all. This was a monster. Craig found himself swinging the door shut. He didn't know what was going on, but he knew that it was wrong, and that was enough. Let us in, Mandy repeated, and the door slammed shut in her strange, blank little face. Craig turned the deadbolt and slid the chain in place. His hands were shaking. No, he breathed. No, you can't come in. Go away! Craig slowly backpedaled down the short hall, dreading the sound of another knock. He let out a little shriek when Elsie's questioning hand settled onto his shoulder. He spun around and his elbow knocked her bowl of popcorn flying. It shattered against the wall. Popcorn and shards of glass sprayed across the floor. Elsie cawed like a startled crow and smacked him, dead center on the chest with an open-handed slap. Jesus, what the hell, Craig? She spat. Look what you did. What are you... Elsie, don't open the door. The words came out as a quavering plea. If she knocks again, ignore it. Okay? Don't 
open the door. What? What are you talking about? Who's out there? Elsie pushed past him, still yammering out a barrage of unanswerable questions, and Craig grabbed her arm hard enough to make her gasp. I said don't open the door! Elsie smacked his hand away. Ouch, Craig! What's wrong with you? Her voice was pinched into an expression of bewildered annoyance. Broken bowl. Popcorn mess on the floor. Husband gone crazy. What the hell is this? Craig scuttled after her in an agony of anxiety. His throat felt arid and tight. No one's out there. She turned to scowl up at him, still indignantly rubbing her arm. Craig, I can't believe that I'm actually going to say this, but are you high or something? I mean... Really? Is this a joke? Because I'm not laughing. There was someone there. It was Mandy McTavish. She was in her pajamas and she was out there all by herself. She... She told me to let her in, but I didn't. I didn't dare. I... I don't even know how to say this, but... She wasn't... He faltered, staring at the doorway with glassy eyes, and Elsie screeched. She wasn't what? Poor little Mandy was out there all alone in her PJs, and you didn't let her into the house? Craig! He struggled to find the words to express the terror he'd just felt, the overwhelming sense of impending doom, but he couldn't think of a way to explain himself that wouldn't sound completely insane. What was he going to say? That Mandy was floating in the air? That she hadn't left any footprints in the fresh snow? He ran his hands through his hair and let out a long, heavy sigh. Something about the whole thing was just completely off, Elsie. I can't properly explain it, but... It made my skin crawl, and I... Elsie turned her back on him and started to unhook the chain. He lunged at her and caught her hand in both of his. Don't! Please, don't do that, hon. I mean it. Don't do that. Craig. His wife trailed off. She blinked up at him, completely nonplussed. Craig, are you... Are you okay? No, he thought. I'm not okay. I'm scared. Shitless. There was a scream outside, shrill and desperate. The Renfrews both jumped in unison. Elsie clawed back the little lace curtain that covered the door light, and they crowded together to peer outside, clutching each other like frightened children. A woman, wearing only a bathrobe and one fuzzy slipper, ran into view, all out sprinting down the middle of the street, her hair streaming back in the frigid breeze and her mouth gaping open to let out another scream. A smaller form streaked in from behind and slammed into her with immense force. There was a flash of movement, and wham! Two bodies were rolling together in the powdery snow, tumbling in a flailing tangle of limbs. There was one last shriek, high-pitched and raw, and the two struggling forms rolled out of sight. The street was quiet again. If it weren't for the disturbance in the snow, it would have been as if nothing had happened out there at all. 
Elsie turned to Craig with a shocked, stricken look on her face. What just happened? Was that Vicky Pembroke? I think it was, he whispered. Keep your voice down, okay? Turn off the whole light. Turn off all the lights. But, but Vicky, Elsie gestured weakly at the door. No, we aren't going out there. Are you crazy? Craig reached out and flicked the switch in the hall light himself. I'm calling the cops. I don't know how I'm going to explain myself without sounding like a lunatic, and I don't give a shit. I'm calling them anyway. Craig crept over to the front door and turned off the porch light. He took another peek outside and froze. I, th I think I'm going up to bed now. Okay? Elsie's lips trembled. She was struggling against tears. I don't like this and I'm freaked out and I just want to go lie down. Craig took in a deep breath and said, Not just yet. Can you come here and tell me if you see what I am seeing? The woman with the bathrobe and single fuzzy slipper was back. It was Vicky Pembroke after all. She was gliding down the street with her fate hovering several inches off the surface of the road. Her bathrobe, now loose and flapping around behind her in the stiff, icy breeze, her face was completely devoid of emotion, slack and flat, like, like she's dead, he thought dead and laying on a slab in the morgue. Oh my god, Elsie whispered. Look at her feet. Her feet aren't touching the ground. Vicky stopped directly in front of their house. She tilted her head back and appeared to be sniffing the air. The predator catching scent of its prey. How cold is it tonight? Almost twenty below. Elsie turned and clutched Craig's arm. She's just about naked out there and she doesn't even seem to notice. Vicky revolved in midair to face the house. Even though Craig and Elsie were crouched down in the dark, he was sure she was looking directly at them. Craig hissed, Get away from the door and he grabbed his wife by the waist to haul her into the deeper shadows of the hallway. Vicky floated smoothly up to their front porch and ascended the steps, her face as still and serene as a statue. Her bare breasts were like twin slabs of sloping alabaster in the pale glow of the moonlight, hanging ponderously against her sagging midriff. Vicky levitated across the porch in that surreal, dreamlike manner and stopped in front of the door, still sniffing delicately at the air. Vicky's eyes were glowing a dull, sickly shade of yellow. She started to whap her fist on the door, the rhythm rapid and insistent. Craig pulled Elsie close, and they huddled together against the wall. Yeah. In. 
Vicky called to them. She spoke in the same slow, dragging rasp as Mandy McTavish, the rattle of dead leaves in a frozen gutter. What's wrong with her? Elsie asked, her eyes very wide and wet. Craig, I'm scared. This is freaking me out. Don't listen to her. Come on. He led his wife back into the living room, stepping gingerly through the mess of broken glass and popcorn on the floor. He sat her down at the couch and grabbed his cell phone off the table. It was time to call the cops. There was a long moment of silence on the other end, a loud click, and then the mindless, one-tone blatting of a busy signal. Like hell. Really? Craig grunted. I call 911 and I can't even get an automated message on the line? Bullshit! Vicky finally stopped rapping at the front door, and the silence that came after was unsettling. They looked at each other with the same troubling question in their eyes. What do we do now? Maybe we should make a run for one of the cars. Elsie was picking nervously at her pajama pants, harvesting invisible lint with pecking fingers. Jump in and peel out of here. Should we risk it? I don't know about that. I don't think we should. Whatever tackled Vicky out on the street. It was fast. Craig hesitated, then added, I'm not completely sure, but I think it was Mandy that jumped on her. I mean, it was all over so quick I hardly even saw what happened, but I'm pretty sure it was her. So we just sit here and what? Wait? Elsie clutched her hands together in her lap and squirmed. I don't want to stay here. I don't feel safe. What if they try to break in? I don't think they can break in. We have to let them in. I had the door wide open when Mandy was on the porch and she tried to grab me, but she couldn't seem to reach past the doorway. I think we're safe in here. Out there, though. He sat down on the couch beside his wife and put his arm around her. She curled into him and grabbed his hand. Her palm was hot and sweaty. What's wrong with them? I don't understand it. I mean, it's like they're... It's like they turned into... Elsie trailed off. She didn't need to finish. Craig knew what she was trying to say. It's like they turned into vampires. The idea was ludicrous, of course. Vampires weren't real. They were purely a figment of imagination, the stuff of bad novels and even worse movies. But people can't float around through the air. Can they? People can't. Try the police again, Elsie demanded. Keep trying. He tried again and shook his head. Still can't get through. Elsie tensed. She held up a finger and said, Shh. Do you hear that? Craig held his breath and listened. After a moment, he heard it too. Faint, but clear. The hectic, hysterical wailing 
of multiple sirens in the distance. No wonder you can't get through. It sounds like every cop car, fire truck, and ambulance in the whole city is out there right now, trying to... to, to deal with this. She paused, then added, Whatever the hell this is, even? And let out an unsteady little giggle. Craig reached over and clicked off the standing lamp in the corner, plunging the living room into gloom. You're right. We can't wait for someone to come save us. We need to leave. We'll just sit here and be quiet and wait for a while. If the coast looks clear later on, we'll make a run for one of the cars and get the hell out of here. Elsie's reply was interrupted by a volley of muffled screams. They were coming from somewhere close by, no more than a few houses away. A medley of terrifying shrieks echoed and rebounded down the empty street. Wordless cries of horror and agony. Craig put his arms around his wife and they hugged each other, both of them clamping down hard against screams of their own. A man's voice rose above the din, wavering in falsetto in his terror. Keep away from me! Stay back! I've got a gun! I've got a fucking gun! I've got... There was the loud, dry crack of a gunshot, and the man's hysterics suddenly cut off in mid-wail. In the thick silence that followed, the only sounds to be heard at 19 Chestnut Street were the wind moaning across the eaves and the Renfro's own ragged, shallow breathing. They let them in, Craig whispered. They shouldn't have let them in. He pulled Elsie a little closer. They cringed together in the dark and they clutched each other as chaos laid waste to the world outside the walls of their home. This episode of Horror Hill is brought to you by BetterHelp. Hello, listeners. No doubt about it, we are living in a stressful age. And there's no shortage of anxiety or depression out there. But it's not always easy to find someone to talk to about those issues, someone with the training they need to help you through them. This summer was one of the more burnt-out summers of my entire life. And that's not just because of the drought perpetual heat wave and rampant brush fires that keep affecting my little corner of the country. I'm a busy man, got a lot on my plate, and when I get overstressed, I really don't narrate very well, and that causes me more stress. It's a vicious cycle, and that's why I want to talk to you today about BetterHelp, the online service that matches you with a highly qualified therapist, quickly and efficiently, to help you navigate the rocky road of mental health. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist, and you'll be communicating in under 48 hours. BetterHelp is not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is a professional counseling service done securely online. There is a broad range of expertise available, which may not be locally available in many areas. This service is available for clients worldwide. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, 
You can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room again, as with traditional therapy, which I particularly enjoy since I don't really like waiting rooms. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. If this is something of interest to you, I highly encourage you to visit their website and read some of the client testimonials there that are posted daily. Like this one, just posted today. I've loved working with my therapist so far. I feel affirmed and validated, especially as a woman of color. She understands and empathizes with my experiences in a way many others might not be able to. I always leave our sessions feeling more clear-headed and better equipped to take on whatever challenges life may bring. Good for her. So to get started, just visit BetterHelp.com Hill. That's Better H-E-L-P. And join the over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. And there's a special offer for Horror Hill listeners. You'll get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com Hill. One more time. That's betterhelp.com slash hill, H-I-L-L. Thank you for your support of this program and of the sponsors that make it possible. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Shortly after midnight, the Renfros decided to sequester themselves upstairs in their bedroom. They had barricaded the door with Elsie's heavy antique bureau. The frequent rapping at their front door was fainter now, which was a blessing, but they could still hear the occasional bout of screams echoing up and down the length of Chestnut Street. The knocking was bad, but the screams were much, much worse. Craig was watching the street below from the bedroom window. He'd seen far more than he really cared to see by this point, but some kind of fatalistic, morbid curiosity was compelling him to continue watching. The street was slowly filling with people, dressed for bed, in their pajamas and housecoats, wrapped in bath towels, sometimes even completely naked, out in the frigid cold. They were all familiar faces, people from the neighborhood. They came in twos and threes, sometimes alone, 
sometimes in small groups, and their feet never touched the ground. They knocked on doors, and sometimes people let them in. Their numbers steadily grew larger. The glow of approaching headlights lit up the street and a weathered-looking Jeep Cherokee slowed to turn into the driveway of the house directly across from the Renfro's, its back end fishtailing a bit on the fresh new snow. Craig's breath caught in his throat. The guy across the street just came home from work, Craig said. He just pulled into his driveway. His voice was colorless and weak. Elsie poked an arm out from underneath the comforter and waved her hand dismissively. They're going to get him, she murmured, and she pulled her arm back under her protective quilted shield. Just like they probably got Darren. You don't know that, Craig snapped. Just because he's not answering his phone. Shit. It doesn't mean the he... Craig trailed off. What? That he let them in? Elsie's words were muffled by the comforter. Maybe he wasn't inside when it started. Did you think of that? He could have been out of the town with his roommates. He's in college, Craig. They're always going out. They don't care if it's a Tuesday night. Shh! He's getting out. Craig pressed his forehead to the glass and held his breath. The neighbor across the street was a stocky, surly-looking guy with a shaved head. Craig had never actually spoken to the man in the entire nine years he'd been living on Chestnut Street. All he knew about the man was that he appeared to work a steady afternoon shift. He lived alone, and he was fond of spending his Sunday afternoons blaring classic rock while detailing his Jeep in the driveway. Elsie was right. Outside of his house, the man would be helpless, easy prey. They would get him. Craig wished there was some way he could warn him, but there was no way he could do that and still manage to remain unnoticed. All he could do was watch it happen. Mr. Jeep heaved himself out of his vehicle with his lunch bag in hand and stomped up to his front step, kicking up the snow in spiteful little puffs as he went. He paused on the first step and turned to look behind him, his expression softening from its usual stony belligerence to one of shock and surprise. His lips moved, and he took a few hesitant steps forward, his cluster of keys dangling loose and forgotten in his hand. Mr. Jeep's eyes widened. He dropped the lunch bag and let out a thin, piercing little screech. He wheeled around to run to his door, and they came for him. Five streaks of blurred movement that darted in from every direction. They slammed into the man and threw him to his driveway with bone-crushing force. In a blink of an eye, he was covered in a blanket of bodies, a pride of starving lions in sweatpants and nightgowns. The fiends tore off Mr. Jeep's coat and shredded his work uniform with scrabbling hands throwing ragged flaps of blue cloth to swirl and flap away in the wind. Oh, Jesus, Craig moaned. They got him. The attackers pressed their faces into the man's exposed flesh, and he screamed in agony. Stop! Elsie whimpered. 
Stop, stop, stop it! It was over in seconds. The attackers levitated away from the sprawled body, like a video run in reverse, and they glided off without looking back at their victim. Mr. Jeep lay face down and crumpled in his driveway, naked, save for his underwear, work boots, and a few scraps of his uniform. His skin was shockingly pale in the glow of the streetlights. Craig couldn't see any visible wounds on the body. He turned to the lump under the blankets and said, They ripped the guy's clothes off, and they... uh, They went at him, like they were feeding on him, eating him. But they didn't even break the skin. Not a single scratch. I don't want to know that, Elsie snapped. Don't tell me anything like that, you got it? I don't want to know. They were feeding on him. But what were they eating? What did they take from him? Craig peered back outside and froze. Mr. Jeep was on his feet now, and he was looking directly up at their bedroom window. But he wasn't really on his feet, exactly. Mr. Jeep was actually hovering several inches in the air, impossibly weightless and buoyant. And even though the street nights were bright against the luminous snow cover... The man cast no shadow on the ground. None at all. Craig backed away from the window. He decided that he'd seen enough for tonight. He sat down on the bed beside Elsie and waited for the knock on his front door. Moments later, it came. Loud and insistent. Elsie squirmed beneath her blanket fort. Craig rubbed her back until Mr. Jeep finally gave up and wandered off. He lay with her on the bed for a while and tried to think of what they could do to save themselves. Their situation was bleak. He whispered, Should I try the radio again? What do you think, honey? Elsie didn't answer. Craig sighed and clicked on the little radio alarm clock on his side of the bed. An hour ago, most of the stations had been broadcasting pre-programmed blocks of music, or dead air, which was troubling. But now, almost all of them were blatting out an emergency broadcast message on a repeating loop. It consisted of several seconds of high-pitched tone, followed by a robotic-sounding voice that said, A wave of violent civil unrest has spread across the nation. Martial law has been declared. Please stay inside and do not attempt to travel. Do not let anyone enter your home. Lock your doors and wait for further instruction. Shut it off, Elsie whimpered. There's not going to be any further instruction. No one's coming to save us. You can't say that. I can. Haven't you noticed yet? The sirens? What are you even talking about? Jesus, Elsie, why can't you try to... Craig closed his eyes and bit down in his growing irritation at his wife's frail, washed-out fatalism. Of course she was losing hope. Why wouldn't she? At this point, the entire world is falling apart around them. The sirens. Do you hear them anymore? 
Craig realized that he didn't. At some point in the last hour, the hectic oral backdrop of emergency vehicles wailing in the distance had fallen silent. He turned the radio off. He was surprised to see that the missing remote for the living room TV was sitting on his nightstand, teetering on top of a pile of change. He considered going downstairs to check the news stations and decided against it. The same message was probably scrolling across the screen on every station. Why bother? Tick, 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 tick. What the hell's that? He whispered. But he already knew what it was. It was the sound of cold fingers tapping on glass. Craig looked over at the window and strangled back a shriek. Mr. Jeep was floating on the other side of the glass, his eyes glowing that hypnotic, dreadful shade of amber. A tuft of wiry pubic hair was poking out from the loose fly of his ragged boxer shorts. The shredded remains of the man's uniform fluttered in the wind. His mouth was moving, and Craig didn't have to be a lip reader to understand what he was saying. Let us in. Craig took in a deep, shuddering breath and forced himself to stand. He shuffled over to the window on legs like rickety stilts and dropped the blinds down. He pulled the heavy curtain panels closed. The tapping continued. Craig stumbled back to the bed and joined Elsie under the covers. They curled together in the hot, close darkness of their blanket cave and waited to see what dawn might bring. The night lasted an eternity, echoing with the sounds of a world sliding into ruin. There was the squeal of spinning tires and the jagged tinkle of breaking glass, hysterical shrieking and futile pleas for mercy. Just before dawn, the sounds of horror and strife came to an abrupt end, and the shell-shocked Renfros both fell into a light, troubled slumber. Elsie opened her eyes just before ten in the morning and nudged her husband awake with a soft tap of her elbow. He flinched and briefly struggled against their cocoon of bedclothes. Elsie shushed him with a finger against his lips. She peeled back the blankets and said, I really, really have to pee. <sighs> Me too, Craig whispered. We'll go together. They crept out of their bedroom and tiptoed down the hall to the bathroom, both of them skittish as wild horses after being barricaded upstairs for so many hours. Craig stood watch at the door while Elsie took care of business, his feet shuffling around in an urgent little gotta-pee dance. He heard Elsie stifle a giggle behind him, and he found himself smiling a little too. In the light of day, it was almost possible to convince himself that the horrors of the previous evening were just a dream. It had to be a dream. The sun was shining, wasn't it? They came downstairs with Craig in the lead, an aluminum baseball bat cocked over his shoulder. Elsie followed close behind with a letter opener clutched in her hand. They did a quick sweep of the main floor, 
both of them flinching every time they rounded a corner, but they were still alone in the house. Craig nodded his head at the big double windows in the living room. Let's have a look outside, he added. Maybe, maybe it'll be okay, and tried not to wince at how inane that sounded. Do you smell something burning? He realized that he did smell something burning. The odor was faint inside the house, but it was there, acrid and sharp. It wasn't the nostalgic, mellow tang of wood smoke curling into the winter air out of a neighbor's brick chimney. This was the noxious stench of a house fire. He flung the curtains back and inhaled sharply, his mouth dropping open into a slack, shocked O of surprise. Oh, hell. Come look at this. The wind had died down overnight, and the air outside was heavy with the haze of dirty, gray-black smoke. Two house fires were visible from the window. One was guttering out on the next street over, and the other was burning fiercely just a few houses away. The neighboring homes were heavily scorched on either side of the inferno. It would be a miracle if they didn't go up in flames as well. Further down the street, an overturned car was lying on its hood on the sidewalk. It appeared to have been flipped over by brute force. There weren't any skid marks in the snow, no sign of the driver losing control. The driver's side door had been torn off its hinges and flung into the street. Do I really want to see this? Elsie asked. Craig didn't answer her. They couldn't. He was speechless. Most of the houses in view had their front door standing wide open, including the house that was burning steadily to the ground. The open doorways looked like mouths, yawning wide, to let out a despairing scream. Mr. Jeep's insulated lunch bag was still lying in his driveway. A large, shaggy-haired shepherd mix trotted across his front lawn and flipped it over with his snout, sniffing for leftovers. Finding nothing of interest in there, the dog strolled away, its body language stiff and alert. Well, so much for it all being a dream, Craig thought, and he struggled against the urge to sit on the floor and start bawling like a toddler. It was real, all right. Elsie joined him at the window. She gaped at the mayhem outside. It's like the end of the world, she said. Houses are burning down and there's no one left to care. Where did they all go? Craig waved his hand at the empty street outside. Those people. They were all over the place last night. I saw dozens of them. There's no one out there now. Where are they? Basements, attics, and closets. They're hiding away from the daylight. Isn't that what vamp... I know what you mean. You don't have to say it. Craig marked. The words weren't supposed to come out as a harsh rebuke, but they did. Elsie shrank away from him. He softened his tone and tried again. I think you're right. They're not pounding on the door, so they must be hiding somewhere, waiting for sunset. It's a good time for us to get dressed and get the hell out of town, because we can't stay here tonight. Where are we going to go? Elsie ground her palms against her eyes and blinked up at him. She looked dreadfully tired. Tired and diminished. 
Seriously, where could we go? This is happening all over the country, maybe the entire planet. Where the hell are we going to drive to, Craig? A deserted island? I haven't figured that out just yet, hun, and I'll admit that I don't know what it's going to be like out on the roads. But I'd rather take my chances out there than... The roads are going to be a mess, she hissed. You saw what happened to that car out there? Yeah, that'll be us. We'll get stuck somewhere, and when the sun sets, they'll come for us. They'll surround the car and rip off the doors, and that will be it. Listen to me. I think we very well might be the last people left on the whole goddamn street. When the sun sets, this is where they'll all be coming, Elsie. All of them. Knocking on our doors and tapping on the windows until dawn. And they'll come back tomorrow night, too. They'll come back every night until they get us. And I don't know if I can face that. Can you? Elsie paled. She shrank down and hugged herself. No. No, I... God, no. At Craig's insistence, they both wore heavy boots and bundled up in layers. According to the thermometer outside the kitchen window, the temperature was hovering around minus ten, and if the streets were snarled in a chaotic mess of crashed and overturned vehicles, they might very well be forced to strike out on foot. They found a box and packed up a loaf of bread, some canned goods and bottles of water, the first aid kit from the bathroom, anything he could think of that might be of practical value. The box was starting to get pretty heavy by the time he was done, but Craig was a big man. He could probably carry it for a long time if he had to. Here's hoping that it doesn't come to that. Elsie tried on a brave smile, but it faltered. I'm scared to leave. I don't want to stay, but I'm scared to step outside. Craig pulled her into a tight hug. It was like embracing a mannequin. You can do this, he breathed into her ear. I'm scared too. Who wouldn't be? He pulled her knitted wool cap down snugly over her ears. She didn't look much like a woman approaching her 50th birthday. She looked like a frightened child. Which car are we taking? Mine or yours? It was a hard lump of dread stuck in Craig's throat. Now that the time had come to abandon their rabbit hole, he felt an overwhelming urge to call it off and stay right where they were, cowering in their own house. The street appeared to be deserted, but it wasn't safe out there. He could feel the danger in the air. It prickled the hairs in the back of his neck. Death was waiting for them on the other side of the door. Yours, she said. You drive. He fished his key fob out of his coat pocket and thumbed the unlock button. Outside, there was a muted clunk as the door lock slid open. Craig leaned the bat over his shoulder. I'll go out there first. He pulled back the chain. You ready? Elsie tightened her lips together and nodded. I'm ready. Can you carry the box? She hefted the box and nodded again. Her mouth now just a tight little slash beneath her nose. Craig took in a deep breath. Okay. Let's go. Later, while he was bleeding on the driveway, 
he'd remember the dog he'd seen sniffing at Mr. Jeep's lunch bag. By then, it was far too late. The air outside was frigid and tainted with a caustic stink of scorched paint and burning drywall. One of the houses beside the inferno down the street was starting to catch, and the smoke was floating along in thick, choking clouds. Craig held up the bat in a double-handed death grip and charged out the door, Elsie close behind him. He started to skirt around Elsie's little fiat, and a large, shaggy-maned dog suddenly burst out from between the Fiat and Craig's Volkswagen sedan, growling low in its throat. It was Lion, the McTavish's five-year-old chow. Mandy had absolutely adored him. They had often rolled around together in the McTavish front yard, giggling and slobbering and romping the afternoon away as the sun shone benignly from its lofty perch in the big blue sky overhead. Lion. Hey, big guy. Hey, take it easy, buddy. Craig had always known Lion to be an amicable, tail-wagging sort of fellow, but at some point during the course of the previous night, something had changed his demeanor entirely. The chow's body language was aggressive and tense, the stiff-legged stance of a dog who is about to attack. Lion's eyes were normally mild and slightly sad-looking, the eyes of a good old boy living in a state of melancholy peace with the easy world around him. Now, they bulged from their sockets like twin spheres of volcanic glass, blank and merciless. Lion? Elsie quavered. You stop growling. Bad boy, you. The McTavish's dog snarled at them. He reared back on his haunches and coiled to leap. There was no time to turn heel and run. Craig gasped, Oh, fuck me! And he swung the bat hard at the dog's wide, fluffy skull. It darted aside, and the bat pinged off the snow-covered blacktop, sending a little puff of powdery white into the air and a painful shiver up his forearms. The chow steamed in with snapping jaws, and Craig backpedaled swinging the bat in front of him in swift, desperate little arcs. Shit! 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 Get back in the house! Craig bumped into Elsie hard, and they both stumbled. She dropped the box of supplies. Her footing slipped, and she fell onto her ass. Craig tripped over her legs, landing heavily on top of her. The only coherent thought in his head was, Don't drop the bat. Don't drop the bat. Don't drop the... Elsie shrieked. No! Bad dog! And a split second later, the chow was on them. Craig lashed out with his foot, and Lion drove his fangs deep into his upper thigh. Craig shrieked up into the sky and rammed the wide end of the bat into the top of the dog's head. Lion coughed out a strangled whine against the leg in his mouth and shook his head savagely. Skin and denim tore beneath the dog's fangs. Crimson droplets rained down and stained blood flowers in the snow. Craig screamed, Oh, you bastard! and hammered the chow a second time, and then a third. The beast clamped down even harder and started dragging him back to its hiding place between their cars. He frantically pummeled at it with the bat and screamed for help. Elsie leapt to her feet and yelled, Let go of him, you ugly fucker! 
She planted her boot into the dog's side, and he responded by giving her husband's leg another savage shake and dragging him faster. Elsie grabbed a double handful of Craig's heavy coat and began to engage the beast in a fierce tug of war. Lion gave her a wide, primal grin from around his mouthful of Craig's upper quadricep and heaved with all his might, dragging them both several more feet through the loose, grainy snow. Craig screeched and battered away at the chow's head and neck with renewed vigor, his head buzzing with agony and panic. The leg of his jeans was soaked through with blood, warm and steaming in the sub-zero air. The dog squinted his eyes shut against the bludgeoning and kept hauling Craig on his ass across the driveway, almost robotic in his determination to drag the human away and maul him to death. Get off me! Get off me! Craig dropped the bat and ripped off his thick leather gloves. He bleated, I told you, get off! and drove the tips of his thumbs into the chow-slitted eye sockets hooking his fingers deep in its mane for leverage. Lion finally released his leg and tried to shake him off, whining and yipping against the agonizing pressure. Craig held on for all he was worth and kept pushing with his thumbs until he felt the dog's eyeballs pop beneath them. The animal screeched and went wild in his hands, snapping its teeth and flailing. He rolled the dog's head still trapped in its hands, and he shoved the thick-set animal beneath the Fiat's front bumper, wedging him deeper under the car with a few hard kicks with the sole of his boot. Blinded and trapped, the chow descended into a writhing, snarling frenzy. In the strange and unaccustomed midday silence, the dog's howls were as loud as the wail of an air raid siren. Oh my god! Craig! Elsie rushed to his side and hooked her hands beneath his upper arm. Craig used the baseball bat like a crutch, and together they managed to heave him to his feet. The dog in front of Jeep Guy's house, he croaked. There's more of them. Elsie shook her head. What? I don't know what... He pushed Elsie towards the steps and shouted, Get in the house! Go! There'll be more of them coming! His entire body was trembling and cold so cold, except for the bite wound on his leg. It burned like fire. Understanding dawned in her eyes. Elsie whirled to run for the porch. She managed to take five steps before a matted-looking golden retriever streaked in from the front yard and latched onto the sleeve of her coat. Elsie squealed and tried to kick the animal in the chest, but it danced away and pulled her around in a circle, trying to throw her off balance. Craig lurched into the fray and brought the bat whistling down onto the dog's hindquarters. The retriever let go of Elsie's arm and turned to fight its new opponent, fangs bared to kill. Craig roared down at the snarling animal and whacked it across the head with an air-whistling blow. The dog went spinning into the dead remains of last year's flower bed and lay there, its hind legs kicking spastically at the air. Two more dogs came racing up the driveway a terrier mix, and a bulldog. Craig shoved Elsie up the front steps and clambered stiffly after her, hopping backwards with his lips skinned back from his teeth in a grimace. He yelled, Close the door! Don't let them get in! And stopped to face the dogs at the top of the steps, squaring off with them as Elsie scurried to the front door. 
He swung hard against their attacking jaws, and the terrier quickly succumbed, flopping bonelessly down the steps with its coal-black eyes staring at nothing. The bulldog, however, was made of sterner stuff. It stubbornly advanced against the whirling swings of the baseball bat and backed Craig across the width of the porch, tirelessly hunting for an opening. The bat felt like it weighed fifty pounds. His arms were starting to feel like old rubber bands, limp, brittle, and weak. The burst of terrified adrenaline was starting to give way to shock and blood loss. Elsie, get ready to open the door!' Craig fainted a thrust with the business end of the bat and hollered, "'Now!' at the top of his lungs. It swung open just as the dog jumped away from the bat, and Craig launched himself backward to the doorway. He landed on his ass in the rough-textured mat in front of the door and rolled over into a clumsy, backward somersault. Elsie slammed the door shut, and the bulldog rammed into the other side." It growled and reared up to scrabble at the door with its claws. Jesus, Craig whispered. His blood was dripping onto the hallway tiles. He'd never seen so much blood in his life, and certainly never his own. The bite wound was a torn-up mess of shredded denim and mutilated flesh. Looking at it made him want to vomit. They, they tried to kill us, Craig's voice jittered up and down. Like a boy in the throes of puberty, he was shaking uncontrollably. They almost did. Honey, your leg! Elsie grabbed a scarf off a hook on the wall and knotted it tightly around his upper thigh. He winced at the pressure. We have to get these pants off and clean that, she said. It'll get infected. They knew we'd try to get away, Craig whispered. His face was white as a sheet. The... Using the dogs to keep us trapped inside. Then making sure we're still around when the sun sets. Elsie peeked out the window. There's at least ten of them now. All different kinds of breeds. I think most of them are wearing collars. They, they were all someone's pets. Not anymore. What are they doing? They're just pacing around the house. Waiting. We're stuck. If we go out there, they'll rip us apart. What are we going to do? Elsie's words were gray and hopeless. What can we do? Nothing, Craig said, and he leaned up against the wall. His head was swimming. Absolutely nothing. We're trapped. The power went out an hour before sunset, and it stayed out. Fortunately for Craig and Elsie, they'd had a fireplace installed in the living room a few years ago. Normally, it was used for a more aesthetic reason, but it did throw off a little heat, enough to make the living room tolerable. Elsie went upstairs to retrieve blankets and pillows while Craig hunted down the kitchen for some candles. He lit a few around the living room and gave Elsie a curdled, cheerless smile. I had to turn the water off. Pipes might freeze downstairs. Elsie shrugged. She pointed at the candles and said, Should we have these lit? I don't know if that's a good idea. They know we're here. Would you rather sit here in the dark? No. Me neither. They held up a bottle of Jack Daniel's whiskey. We should drink this. I think it'll help. But you took those codeine pills for your leg, 
Should you mix them like that? I'll be fine. Here. Elsie reached for the bottle. She took a swallow, grimaced, and then took another one. It's gonna be a long night, Craig said. Drink up. She braced herself and tipped the bottle back again, then made a face and coughed. Elsie pushed the bottle back into his hands and Craig had a few good nips from it himself. The whiskey burned down his throat and lit his stomach on fire. It would warm the chill in their bones and dull their senses. It would help them cope with their awful new reality, if only for the night. They stood at the living room window and watched as the indigo blue of winter twilight deepened into the deep violet of nightfall. Sensing the imminent arrival of their horrible new masters, the dogs slunk away with their tails between their legs, seeking shelter from the sharp bite of the cold. As the stars began to wink to life in the black sky above, the new residents of Chestnut Street started floating into view. The streetlights were dark and dead, but between the moon and the guttering house fires, the street was lit with an anemic, flickering glow. It was bright enough for Craig and Elsie to watch as they slowly gathered out front. A silent crowd of emotionless faces. Many of them were children. The sons and daughters of their neighbors. The youth of Chestnut Street would never age. They would never grow tall and confident. Never graduate school and move away from the neighborhood to start families of their own. They would never evolve into the people they might have become. They belonged to the moonlight now, and in its sallow gleam they would remain children forever. The ghouls moved in to form a ring around the house and, as one, their dead voices rose up together in a chant. <sighs> They said, and in those words there was the promise of peace. All they had to do was open the door to the mob outside, and it would all be over in a matter of seconds. All that they were, had been, and could be, all of it extinguished in a brief flash of terror. And when they were reborn, they would be as one with the others. One voice. One hunger. Wandering and wanting for all of eternity by the cold and indifferent light of the moon. Do you think it hurts them? Craig whispered. His throat felt dry and tight. Can they still feel? No. They don't feel anything at all. Elsie blinked back tears. They're not even aware of what they've become. They just are. No past. No future. Only the here and now. The chant outside went on and on. Slow and deliberate. Maddening. Craig and Elsie sat in front of the fireplace and drained the bottle to the last drop. Mostly in silence. When the booze was gone, Elsie pulled her husband down onto the carpet and urged him to make love to her, but he couldn't do it. 
They tried to block everything out and focus on the moment, but it was hopeless. I'm sorry. It's not. I can't do this. Elsie sat up and held his face between her hands. Despite the whiskey, her gaze was still clear and sharp. She said, It doesn't matter. I love you and you know it. And that's enough. She tried to say something else and started to cry instead, raining hot, bitter tears onto his shoulder. Craig held her and she let it out. After a while, the remnants of Elsie's sobs dried to a tacky sheen on her cheeks and she drew away from him, her face stony and brooding. It'll be okay, he said. We'll get through this. No, it won't, she snapped. It won't be okay. Don't say that. Don't say anything. Just don't... When the last of the candles guttered out with a hiss and a tiny puff of smoke, the Renfros stuffed twisted wads of Kleenex into their ears and wrapped themselves together in a cocoon of blankets by the fire. The combination of booze and sheer physical exhaustion quickly pulled Craig down into a deep, murky unconsciousness. He didn't stir when Elsie carefully wriggled out of the blankets and he slept right through her shrill, bird-like cries as she sawed into her own wrists with a filleting knife. Craig didn't know what she'd done to herself until he literally stumbled over her body the next morning, tripping over it and landing on his hands and knees into a puddle of her cold, tacky blood. He was bleary-eyed and shivering from a combination of cold and his hangover, and for almost a full minute, he sat there in Elsie's blood, unable to believe it, incapable of believing it. But then, he started to scream. The screams tore out of his throat like jagged shards of glass, and they were real. The blood on the floor was real, and Craig screamed until his voice gave out. His wailing made the dogs outside perk up their ears. They looked hopefully at the house, licking their chops and tentatively wagging their tails. They were eager for an end to their servitude to the new masters, the things that only came out at night, the things with no smell or warmth on their bodies. The new masters commanded without words and their will was as cold and sharp as the winter air around them. Perhaps the end would come soon, and the dogs would be allowed to flee. They stared at the house with hungry eyes, and they waited. The day passed in a haze of weeping and misery. Craig opened a bottle of vodka and had mostly killed it by the time sunset rolled around. He stood in the living room window and watched them gather in front of his house, a patient mob of blank faces and burning eyes. When they were fully assembled, the crowd closed in tightly, filling every window and doorway with their bodies, demanding as one for Craig to open up and let them in. He was the last of Chestnut Street's former residents, 
the final revenant of an era gone by. Craig's world was only two days dead, but it was already long forgotten. The new residents of Chestnut Street weren't aware of yesterday, and they would never worry about tomorrow. There was only one measure of time in the new world, and that was now, this particular moment, and then the moment that follows directly after. The citizens of the new world were united by one burning universal desire, total conformity. They would systemically root out the hiding places of the remaining survivors from the dead era, and they would gradually wear them down with the dull, implacable logic of their three-word chant. The new world would consume what was left of the old, night after night, week after week, until there was no trace of it left. And when the feast was over, the moon would replace the sun as the champion of the sky, and the people of Chestnut Street would wander for all eternity by its pale and cheerless glow, lost and hungry for something that they would never have the capacity to understand, trapped forever in a singular shifting instant in time. They would drift to and fro in the dark, unsatisfied without knowing why, united as one, but all of them completely, utterly alone. There's only two possible conclusions to this story, Craig slurred at them to the window. I can use the knife, or I can let you in. The only question is, which one is worse? He stared out at them, his former neighbors, and in their eyes he saw the uniformity that was strangely comforting. The moonlit world of the ghouls outside might be ruled by hunger, but it would also be free in its own way. Free from the pain of doubt, fear, anger, humiliation, regret, guilt, or even sadness. As the old world died, those afflictions would all die with it, never to exist again. Hunger is bad, sure it is. He told them. But there's worse things than hunger. My wife killed herself. I sat in her blood. It doesn't get much worse than that. Craig limped over to the front door, his breath puffing in the frigid air. He hadn't bothered to build up the fire. That was the point. The vodka kept him warm. He pulled back the chain and opened the door. They were waiting for him, a dozen of them crowding the porch and the rest spilling down the steps and into the front yard. They said. They waited for his response, eyes glittering in the dark. Craig wiped his tears away and stepped back from the doorway. Now or tomorrow... The next day or the next after that, it would eventually come down to either the knife or the crowd outside. And in the end, did it really matter? No, it didn't. Come in.
They surged into the house in a blur, splintering the doorframe. There was a split second of terror and doubt in Craig's heart, a flash of agony and horror. And then it was done. Craig rose up from the hallway floor. He floated out into the moonlight to join his new tribe. Let us in, he said, and the others answered him in kind. It was a new world, a moonlit world, and Craig was reborn. You've been listening to 19 Chestnut Street by author T.W. Grimm. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death, and Hell followed close behind. I'd like to personally thank you for joining me for this episode of Horror Hill. Don't forget to tune in again next week when I yet again regale you with a handful of tales to terrify, plumb from the most depraved depths of the human imagination. Tonight's story was brought to you by T.W. Grimm. Grimm is a self-published horror novelist from southwestern Ontario and the author of 99 Brief Scenes from the End of the World, Tripping Over Twilight, When the Stars Fall, and the promises we make in December, now available on Amazon.com. To learn more about T.W. and keep up with him, visit his official blog at twgrim.blogspot.com or follow him on Twitter and Facebook. If you enjoyed what you've heard on tonight's program, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference and would mean a lot to me. If you'd like to hear a premium ad-free edition of tonight's and all of our other episodes, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the Patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself at chillingtalesfordarknights.com where you can become a patron for as little as $5 per month and get access to our entire audio archive dating back to 2012, including past episodes of this program, all of our other shows, and hundreds of standalone releases, all of them ad-free and available to download or stream. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You'll find me personally on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Until next week, listener, when we meet up once again atop the horror hill for yet another dance with darkness, I bid you good night, sleep tight, listener, and whatever you do, if you hear scratching at your door, don't open it. The darkness may have found you, but it's up to you. 
and let it in. <laughs> Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Horror Hill Podcast, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted and its featured stories performed by yours truly, Jason Hill. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Felipe Ojeda, Luke Hodgkinson, and Jesse Cornett. Final mixing and mastering by executive producer and director Craig Groshak. The program's artwork by yours truly, Jason Hill. Logo by Craig Groshak. Got a terrifying tale of your own that you like performed? I take submissions. Email it to us today at submissions at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your work considered for production in a future episode of this show. That's submissions at simplyscarypodcast.com. If you enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave us a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on social media to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and our other programs. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for Chilling Tales for Dark Nights as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every week. And don't forget to hit the thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next week with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. If darkness is what you're after, listener, your search is over. Yet, let it be known, you haven't found the darkness. The darkness has found you. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. 
Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. So I, I know you've got a lot going on, but remember, I'm here for you. So bother me when no one's listening because I will. Bother me when it feels like it won't get better because it can. Bother me because you're never a bother. Whether it's a low point or a crisis, get help for yourself or a friend. Learn more at neverabother.org or call or text 988, available 24-7.